desert island dicks. <coughs> Ds. Well, it's written dicks. Okay, as you wish. Desert Island Ds from the Revelation Station podcast. Real people choosing the ten albums that influenced their musical taste. Hello, and welcome to Desert Island Ds. My guest today is Simon Heldrick the well-known gambler, eroticist, and spy. Hello, Simon. Hello, Gary. We're here today to talk about the ten albums that have influenced your taste in music. Would you like to tell us a little bit about your formative years and how you got into music? Yeah, well, when I was growing up, there was always music playing in the house. We always had the radio on. I can remember many, many uh, times before school listening to Dave Lee Travis on The Breakfast Show on the radio. Um, And I can remember my mum having her own stereo where she would listen to loads and loads of different styles of music. Um, in particular, remember things like uh, Blondie and uh, the, the Monkees. Daydream Believer was a particular favourite. Um, so there's always music being played in the house. What age are we talking about here? How old do you think you would have been at this point? So for the first seven years of my life, uh, it was just me and my mum. Um, well, we lived with my grandma and grand- granddad for a, a couple of years, but then we moved out and we were living on our own. Um, so it, up until I was about seven, it was just the two of us. Um, we'd listen to music together all the time. And she was, she was like me. She had quite a wide taste in music. So she'd always be playing loads of stuff. Like I say, she, she'd listen to things like the Beatles and she'd listen to things like Blondie and ABBA. And um, we'd listen to Disney music together. So we'd always be listening to music in the house. When I was about seven, she remarried, and then that brought in, my stepdad came in with uh, more rock music, stuff like Queen, popular rock music. Yeah, so up to this point you say that your taste in music was pop, but pop of a slightly earlier era than at the moment. Yeah, so this is in, I was born in 1972, so this is sort of very late 70s, very early 80s, Um, and we'd listen to, my mum would listen to stuff from within the last 10 years or so but she'd also be listening to the contemporary stuff like say like Blondie and Abba um so she'd be listening to that sort of thing we didn't have a lot of old old music so there wasn't a lot of you know old rock and roll or old heavy metal or anything like that she was listening to more contemporary stuff um but then yeah like I say when when she remarried then we had my stepdad listen to contemporary rock music but it was more the the chart rock music he did wasn't into things like black sabbath or led zepp or anything like that um but he wasn't really the one into music it was my mum my mum was into music she's given me this love of music so would you say at that time though that you were basically just listening to um the radio or did you have a record collection that you were already developing i didn't have a record collection no it was all the radio she my mum had a record collection i listened to some of her records um, I've still got a few of them actually. First press of uh, Purple Haze on 7 inch vinyl, and I believe it's a first press of Imagine as well on 7 inch vinyl that I liberated from it. Um, but the very first record I ever, ever paid my own money for was Dreadlock Holiday by 10cc. Is that because you used to steal them before that? <laughs> yeah, stole them off my mum. Um, but I saved up my pocket money and asked her, she was on her way to work, and I asked her that, to get it for me. From, on, from the shop on the way back from work. And it was 10cc, I heard it on the radio, Dreadlock Holiday, I just loved it so much. It was just 
couldn't get enough of it. So she bought me. That was my very first record I ever owned. Was that an album or, or, a, or a single? No, just a single. It was just a single. Okay, so would you say that was one of the first things that influenced your taste in music? Not really. Other than that, I was listening to stuff on the radio and liking things from the radio. Okay, so you're listening to 10cc. Um, mm. Did this prompt you to buy an album? Was it was it 10cc that you went for as an album, or did you choose something else? No, it wasn't. One of the things, because listening to the radio, I heard a lot of pop hits, obviously, um, and I remember hearing Genesis on the radio. This was some time later. This would have been in 1986. I had a Walkman fairly soon after that 10cc, probably a, a 82, 83 time. I got compilation albums, um, uh, but they were never ones I'd bought myself, chart hits style things. Um, so I enjoyed listening to those on my Walkman. I also had um, Russ Abbott's Greatest Hits album as well, songs from his TV show. I didn't have vinyl records apart from this single, but in 1984, or maybe in Christmas 1984, um, I got uh, Hits 94, and I also got, I think it was now, that's what I call Music 1984. And both of those had tracks by Genesis on them. So I knew a little bit about Genesis. And then 1986 came around, and I heard Invisible Touch on the radio, and thought it was pretty good. A friend of mine, Sean, his dad was really into Genesis. And we've talked about this on the Revelation Station podcast we before. Have, yes. um, but he was really into Genesis, his dad was really into Genesis. And I knew that he'd got that album, so I asked him to make me a copy of that album, um, which he did. But his dad, being a hardcore Genesis fan, basically said, no, can't just have Invisible Touch, that's, that's not right. Put this one on the other side of this C90 tape um, and give him that as well. And the other album on the back of that tape was Foxtrot, which was from 1972. Uh, it was their fourth studio album, um, and it's such a contrast, it just blew my little mind. So which of the two albums did you prefer when you were listening to them? <laughs> it's difficult to say at the time, difficult to remember at the time, because I really loved Invisible Touch, but Foxtrot really was something completely different. It was like nothing ever happened. Bear in mind, my musical education comes from things that were played on the radio. Foxtrot, nothing like it never going to be pay- played on the radio no, was it? never going to be played on the radio not certainly not on the sort of radio programs i was listening to so foxtrot really blew my mind and at the first opportunity i could i went out and bought foxtrot and that was my first ever album i bought with my own money i went out and bought that this is yeah. one of the first albums that decided your musical taste i hadn't really defined my musical taste at this point i'd like i say listen to chart stuff listen to pop hits and things like that and liked them but i'd never want never liked a band enough that i wanted to buy a full album by them so this really this opened me up to so many other bands that i then came to love um through genesis uh, i got things like marillion and uh, rush which i really really adore things like, yeah, yes loads of other prog rock bands like that this was the first one if i hadn't bought this album i don't know whether i would have started buying music quite as much there's quite a difference between listening to what was on the radio at the time and this album Mm. how do you equate that with this sudden massive sidestep in musical tastes i think it was just that it was such a difference um you know you you compare even compare the track invisible touch with the track supper's ready they're so far removed i didn't even realize music like that was possible because 
un- unlike you, who had listened to a lot of classical music, classical music wasn't a big thing in our house. Uh, my stepdad liked some of the more popular classical music stuff. You know, he wasn't listening to operas and things like that. He was listening to, he'd buy a Mozart's Greatest Hits <laughs> style album and he'd be listening to the, you know, the bangers. Okay. He wouldn't be listening to the whole, the whole opera or the whole concerto or whatever. So to suddenly go from listening to three, four, five minute songs on the radio to 22 minute track that went all over the place just completely opened my brain to other possibilities okay so so that's your really your first album there yeah is there a particular track off there which you'd say uh, you would recommend to others to listen to yeah i mean the whole album's great there isn't a bad track on that i know you don't like suppers ready but for me the whole album works watcher of the skies completely blew me away with how different it was but it was the second track timetable that really grabbed my attention and it's a bit of a deep cut for genesis fans it's not one they performed live. It's not one that people would put onto best ofs or greatest hits or anything like that. But for me, it's a good, solid little song. Um, so that that almost has the pop sensibilities of tracks on the radio, but it sounds significantly different to those. Yeah, I think I'm going to choose Timetable. I think that is the, the track that led me into the album. Okay, well, we'll have a little listen to that. A carved oak table Tells a tale of times when kings and queens sipped wine from goblets gold, and the brave would lead their ladies from out the room to arms cool. A time of valor and legends born, a time when honor meant much more to a man. Right from wrong through lance and sword. Why, why can we never be sure till we die or have killed for an answer? Why, why do we suffer each race to believe that no race has been? Okay, so we'll go on to your second album of choice now. What would you mm. say is your second album that had the most influence on your musical tastes? So in a similar way that um, Foxtrot opened me up to different styles of music, this next album also was like nothing I'd ever heard before. Um, and whilst it didn't quite have the same influence on my music taste as uh, Foxtrot did, it opened my eyes to... to the way things could be. So this is uh, Pretty Hate Machine by Nine Inch Nails. My friend James Henry, who is currently he is a comedy writer, um, but we've lost contact years ago. I was at university and he was a very tall goth and we were in a lot of English um, writing lectures together. And somehow we started talking to each other and hit it off. And he started introducing me to music. I started trying to introduce him to music, but he was more successful than I was <laughs> in getting him into different styles of music. So I went around to his house and he played this album for me. And I had never heard synthesizers used 
in such a way before. I was used to ELP or YES or Genesis using synthesizers, and this uses it instead of a guitar. So apart from the music, was there anything else that drew you to this album? Was it an interesting cover, or did you not look at the, the visual side of these albums at that time? Was it just the music that drew you? No, it was really the music. I, I'm not really bothered about album covers, to be honest. I can appreciate a good piece of artwork on the album cover, but no, the, I mean, the Nine Inch Nails album has kind of stark cover, which looks like a ribcage, but it's actually a distorted picture of a keyboard. So no, I wasn't really drawn to the album covers. I didn't even see the album cover until I finally bought the album a, a little while later. Okay, so how did you come to buy the album? Me and my friend James, we used to regularly go to Nottingham. Um, obviously, select a disc, you know, select a disc well. Um, we'd just go over there once every couple of weeks and just do a bit of a spending trip, buy comics. There's no comic shops in Derby at the time. While we're there, we'd go to select a disc, go to second hand record stores and things. And I actually bought this album on vinyl, which I still have, from probably from HMV or somewhere like that. It, was, it wasn't a second hand one anyway. So, bought that, and, and that reminds me, on the way back from Nottingham, we got off the train, walking back through Derby, back to, to where James lived there was a phone box and there was a guy in the phone box on the phone now if you've ever met me you'll know i'm very short the thing about james is he was a very tall very thin goth and we're walking next to each other just chatting away the guy in the phone box on the phone literally did a double take as we walked towards the phone box i've never seen a double take a spit take as, as our american or international listeners might call it he actually did a proper spit take, proper double take as we walked past, looking at me, this kind of short guy, dressed in, probably dressed in grunge clothes back then, um, and this really tall, skinny goth walking past. He must, James must have been two feet taller than me. And he actually did a proper spit take and, <laughs> and almost dropped the phone in surprise. Just seen as I've never seen that before or since. I didn't think that sort of thing really existed outside of comedy movies but apparently it does so you mentioned your clothing yes am i correct in saying you've never owned a pair of jeans since i've bought clothes for myself that's correct i've never owned a pair of jeans when i was a kid and my mum bought me clothes she bought me jeans but i've never liked jeans well it, it's it's one of those things isn't it i mean you, mm. you started off listening to rock music and things mm. of that nature and yet you never got into the the look of rock music the denim look. No, that's the, true. The, the denim and leather look. Never, never have, no. I just don't find jeans comfortable. And I think it's partly my mum used to buy me really, really flared jeans. <laughs> that's all you and, could get in the 70s, to be fair. Well, bear, bearing in mind I'm a little bit younger than you, and so it would have been 1982, 83, when flares were well out. Hang on, I'm still wearing flares. <laughs> They're back in there. Um, so, yeah, I used to get kind of mocked for wearing flared jeans and I think that's where it's come from I just don't like jeans I don't find Denny particularly comfortable either so I just don't wear jeans there you go fair <laughs> enough revelation just that we'd look into something another side of yourself another so, side of me yes. even when I was into grunge and grunge obviously is flannel shirts and jeans or cut off jean shorts no I was, I was combat trousers all the way combat trousers so you're listening to Nine Inch Nails at the moment hmm Yes. On this album, which particular track would you like to hear a piece from? There's so many good tracks on this album. Um, I was almost tempted to choose Head Like a Hole, which is the first track, but I think everybody would recognise that one. I'm going to choose the last track, which is called Ring Finger. Um, it really, really mixes the hard-edge synth sound, but it also mixes a lot of the dance influences that the rest of the album's got. That 
Nine Inch Nails kind of moved away from um, as they did more albums. They got heavier and heavier, replaced the synths with heavy guitars instead, and kind of became a bit more rock orientated. Um, but yeah, Ring Finger, I think. Okay, well, I've listened to that. Well, you've got me working so hard lately. to something by managed mouse and that explains why you're a manic depressive so <laughs> let's just move on and talk about another album that influenced your musical stylings yeah it's cool i've seen nine inch nails at least three times live i can't remember how many times uh, to be honest um and the next band is another band i've seen quite a few times just out of interest where did you yeah. see nine inch nails i've definitely seen them in wolverhampton uh on their uh downward spiral tour uh, i've definitely seen them in manchester on their year zero tour um, and I've seen them at Glastonbury. I uh, can't remember what year that was. Might have been 2002. Um, and I've got a feeling I've seen them another time that I just can't remember as well. But definitely three times. Just out of interest, which one of those concerts do you think brings the most pleasant memories for you? Hmm, that's difficult to say, really. Probably the Glastonbury gig. Glastonbury is always a great experience, um, unless it rains. And that was a particularly good gig. They played particularly well. Just as the sun was going down, yeah, Glastonbury, for sure. So continue, your next album? So next album, um, this band is another band I, I got into through listening to the radio. So at this point, I was still listening to the radio a lot. Um, and this is Muse. And I really got into Muse having heard a single Cave um, on Steve Lamack's evening session. Uh, immediately the next day, went out there's a record store down the road from where i worked i worked in a, a comic store and we were allowed to play our own music in the store and there was a record store just down the road from us and we, we knew that the people who worked in the record store we got on really well together so i immediately went down to that store the next day and said guys i need this single have you got a copy of this single because i need to buy this cave by news and they were like no it's really limited edition it's sold out completely not going to get one disappointed but then knowing that knowing the manager i've gone quite well with the manager he let me know a few uh, probably a month or so later 
he'd got a an advanced copy of the album Showbiz, uh, which I still got to this day, which released on the on Madonna's Maverick label because it was a US import and it was released about a month earlier in the US than it was in the UK. And he basically got one copy of it and he just walked up to the, to my store and said, I've got this copy of this, this album. Do you want it? I was like, yes. Straight away bought it. Such a good album. Such a good band. I love Muse so much. Um, they kind of brought me back into the prog music in a way by stealth because I wasn't really listening to much prog at the time. Um, I'd gone into, like I say, into things like Nine Inch Nails, into more rock music, more sort of things like Pearl Jam, Red Hot Chili Peppers, a few of my other choices that we'll talk about in a little while. A bit more back into sort of pop music as well. Wasn't into prog at all. Yeah, because so far your musical tastes haven't been particularly linear in, in their choices, have they? You haven't no. definitely gone down one path. You're still no. pretty much flitting around the place, aren't you? Yes. Would you say that's actually a pretty good description of your musical stylings today? Yeah, I'm, I don't... Yeah, I, I don't know if I pick up that much music from the radio anymore, but I do still listen to the radio a lot. It's mostly Radio 2, so it's mostly older stuff or stuff in a certain style. But I do listen to a lot of things on Spotify, so curated playlists, um, things like Release Radar, and I'll just randomly pick things. And if I can recommend as well, a podcast from NPR, which is called All Songs Considered. They basically go through the week's releases. Um, and play tracks from that and I listen to that every week and pick out tracks from there so I've gone into a few few bands through that as well but back then it was listen to the radio if I like something I go for it but I didn't have a specific you know I didn't go to rock clubs and only listen to rock music I would go to rock clubs and listen to rock music but I'd also listen to the pop charts on a Sunday afternoon okay so you're currently listening to Muse yes have you ever seen mm. them live? I have, yeah. I mean, I saw them not long after they released this album. Um, I think it was Glastonbury 2000. It was at Glastonbury. I went to Glastonbury a lot in the early 2000s. And it was before they released Origin of Symmetry. So they were playing music from that and music from Showbiz. And I thought they were absolutely diabolical when I saw them then. They were really, really bad. Just playing loads of feedback to the guitars, playing... Ugh, just weren't that good at all. Was that from because of their musical stylings, or was that because of a, a poor setup? Do you think it was one of those things where you know they smash guitars and they rather than playing guitar solo, they do feedback and whine and like sustain and just things like that. So they were pushing things like that, and it just didn't work very well. Um, nevertheless, I went to see them again on the Origin of Symmetry tour when they played in Nottingham at the um, Rock City, and they were really awful again. <laughs> So, like, they were one for me. They were one of those bands back then that they were great on album, but live they just pushed it too far. Um, right, right. So, I, so it didn't appeal to me at all. It wasn't a pleasant experience watching them live for you, then. No, not then. But then I saw them in two thousand and four. Went to Glastonbury two thousand and four, um, and they were absolutely fantastic. They really, they were so good. They were playing the songs rather than extended guitar freakouts. And they were doing really clever things like playing guitar solos on the piano. And they were brilliant. Absolutely stunningly good. So from then on, I thought, yeah, these, these actually are a good good band live. Um, and they, they're actually the last band I've seen live. Um, saw them last year in January, uh, July, sorry, up in Manchester. And I took my daughter and it was her first ever gig. And they were absolutely brilliant again on the uh, um, uh, Simulation Theory tour. Just so good. Play, I think on that tour as well, they played one track from every single album. 
So a pretty good set then, really. It was a really, really good set, yeah. Absolutely. Especially for your daughter, who was, this was her first gig. She got a a full sound of the band for this gig. And the other good thing, it was was an absolute spectacle as well. It wasn't just them standing on a stage playing like it had been the the first couple of times I saw them. They got light shows, they got dancers. Um, they got, Matt Bellamy opens the gig by rising slowly out of the stage, surrounded by dancers. <laughs> um, and then uh, they, they got people like climbing up and down screens on behind them, and they got, uh, a giant inflatable thing that looked a bit like Eddie by Iron Maiden. It just brilliant. It was like a proper spectacle as well. Um, so yeah, so much better. <laughs> Good. Good. And you mentioned that you do go to the occasional rock club, etc. Mm. Would you say yeah. that was a, a big part of your social life at this time? It was at this time, yeah. This was back when I was still single, um, no children or anything like that. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd be out at least twice a week. My local club was called The Blue Note. You and me have been there several times. We have. Um, and on Friday night, they do more of an indie disco style night. Saturday night they would do more of a not a club night but they'd mix popular indie stuff with popular dance music through the night so I'd go to those two but there'd also be things like there was the rock house in Derby which we've also been to which we have which I used to go to when I was first started going out when I was 16 17 Uh, I mean when I was 18 um, I started going to the rock house and that's back when I would be listening to a lot of prog music but I'd also I'd pick up things from there as well and Nirvana and Soundgarden and things like that that I also listened to at the time at this point going out to the nightclubs and wasn't so much of my musical influence as it had been so you're listening to uh, Showbiz by Muse Mm. at the moment is there a particular track on there that is outstanding for you they're all good the first track is called Sunburn and that is just stunningly good I saw them in 2004 playing at Glastonbury and Matt Bellamy played the guitar solo from sunburn on the piano and it was just stunningly good yes i remember seeing that it was it was very good but that's not the track i'm choosing which track are you choosing then i'm going to choose cave because that was the first track of theirs that i really got into having heard it on the radio okay well we'll have a quick listen to a little bit of cave
leaving Muse aside for the moment, shall we go on to your fourth album? Yeah, the fourth album is uh, Promenade by The Divine Comedy. Now, 1994 this came out, it's their third album. Now this really, really did lead me to loads of different bands, the same way that the Genesis album did. I heard this um, on the radio, Radio 1. This would have been the late night show, probably Mark Radcliffe and Mark Riley, I think, did late show. And they played a, a song called The Book Lovers which is basically just a list of authors over music and then somebody responding to them. So it will say something like um, Ford Maddox Ford, any colour as long as it's black. And I just thought I really, really loved that track. Um, and I went out and bought this album as soon as I could after that. I'd never really heard an orchestra being used as part of pop music before. So would you say it was the music or the lyrics that drew you to this album? It was the music to start off with. But I came to appreciate the the lyrics as well because it's very witty. You know, the Divine Comedy is very witty, very uh, very English. The Divine Comedy, even though he's not English, it is a fair <laughs> no. But they they have a certain quintessential Englishness about them, don't they? Yes, let's say Britishness because they are British. It's that dry wit and the whimsy mm. that yeah. um, in their songs that that make them quintessentially British. Yeah, exactly. But it was it was the orchestral style of the music that led me to them originally, and that's what led me to other bands. So, so bands like Tindersticks, um, which who I absolutely love, they came because I love the Divine Comedy. People like um, My Life Story all came from the Divine Comedy. So, in the same way that Genesis led me to a lot of other prog bands, this album led me to a lot of other pop bands that used orchestra. Did you um, at the time look back at the? previous albums by Divine Comedy and were you nonplussed or at least confused by the difference in tone of the previous albums compared to this one? Well at the time, this is their third album, but at the time you could only get one other album by them which was Liberation and I didn't get Liberation for a little while. I actually bought Casanova next because I would have bought this not long before Casanova came out. Probably at the tail end of 1995 I bought this album and Casanova came out in 96. So it wasn't until Casanova that I went back and listened to Liberation. But yeah, I think Liberation is of a similar style to this album. Um, not quite as good, but still very enjoyable. But yeah, it was, it was a long time until I heard um, um, Fanfare for the Comic News because he just wasn't available. Oh, I also saw um, The Divine Comedy at Glastonbury, which I think was at the same year as Nine Inch Nails. Um, they were absolutely brilliant, had a full orchestra on stage, played a cover version of uh, No One Knows by uh, Queens of the Stone Age, um, which included a mandolin solo. So, is a particular track on this album that you'd like to hear a piece of? I'm going to choose Geronimo. Um, it's a really frenetic piece, led, piano-led, which tells a really great little story about a couple having a meal and then running through the rain to get a taxi to get back. Geronimo, they run for it down the road with her arm around her waist. He leads her to a place we know. Soaked through the happy, they scratch up to the landing. The room before them makes a welcome smile. The cold fire is throwing strange shapes upon the hearth rug and crying out to be knelt down the side. She pulls off her jumper and flings it in the corner. He picks it up and hangs it on a chair. She puts on a record and sings into her coffee. He puts 
a blanket round her, sits her down and dries her beautiful hair. Okay, so that was the Divine Comedy. As I mm. said uh, just after the last album, your mm. musical tastes are pretty much all over the place at the moment. Is your next album along a similar theme, or are we again <laughs> going off to tangent? No, let's go off at another right angle. <laughs> what have you got for us for your fifth album? So until this album came out, I pretty much predominantly listened to uh, male bands, not boy bands, but <laughs> you know, bands fronted by men. Um, yeah. Male vocalist-led bands. Yeah, exactly. This was the first female artist that I got into, and it was Tori Amos. Um, and the album, her first album, Little Earthquakes, nothing had really struck a chord with me before. And obviously I was aware of people like Kate Bush, um, Alison Moyet, and people like that. But I'd never really got into their their songs that much. I, this album really, really struck a chord with me, um, just musically. And it was from this that I then went back and listened to think, people like Kate Bush. Was this because uh, you'd heard a single, or, or again, was it somebody playing you the album? My recollection is that I heard an interview with her on the radio, and she played some songs live um, as part of that interview. And one of them is the track I'm choosing, which is Winter. And I just thought it, it was so well done, just her solo piano. It just sounded so good. That was released as a single with some interesting B-sides, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Um, there was two versions of this single. One that had ordinary tracks and the one I bought, which had the covers of uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, Thank You by Led Zeppelin and Angie by the Rolling Stones, all just piano. Um, and that really, really good. The Smells Like Teen Spirit in particular was really, really, really well done. Were these tracks on the album or, or were they just no. available as a B-side? Just available on this, this CD single. Oh, very nice. She gets compared to Kate Bush a lot and sometimes it can be justified. But I think she's got such a unique voice that she stands apart from a lot of female artists. Okay, shall we have a listen to that? Yes. Wipe my nose, get my new boots on Get a little warm in my heart when I think of winter I put my hand in my father's glove I run off where the drifts get deeper Sleeping beauty that trips me with a frown I hear a voice, you must learn to Stand up for yourself Cause I can't always be around He says when you're gonna make up your mind When you're gonna love you as much as I do So, 
you just bought this album by Tori Amos. Was this on vinyl or CD at this point? Yeah, I was pretty much predominantly up to this point buying albums on vinyl. Um, this came out in 1992, and I didn't even have a CD player at this point. Um, so I was buying vinyl. I usually buy a vinyl and then whack it onto a tape so I could listen to it on my Walkman, but it was vinyl all the way. Um, with this album, though, I bought a CD player. Uh, not with the album, but around the time I bought this album, I, I bought a CD player. So this is one of the first CDs I bought, was this, the winter single. My recollection of you at this time and a few years along this period, specifically a few years later on, mm. um, you've always been a bit of a geek when it comes to new tech, haven't you? Mm. Yeah, um, I have. You were one of the few who got into mini discs. Yes, I was. I, I really like mini disc as a as a format, um, definitely for portable music. I mean, the sound quality is really good anyway, um, and it'd be more reliable than a cassette. It wouldn't skip like a portable CD player would, uh, and it it was portable. Um, so I really liked mini discs, and I didn't buy many official mini discs. I I, I had Showbiz actually. Um, and I had um, Play by Moby, I think it was, and a Groove Armada album on mini-disc. But well, that was it for official mini-discs. But I used to make loads and loads of mini-disc compilations. Yeah, it's a very versatile system. Why do you think it didn't catch on? Difficult to say, really. I think it was a bit expensive to start off with because um, it was a Sony technology. It wasn't really adopted by many other companies. And then it came out around the time of the internet and MP3s. Right. So as is usual with these types of technology, it depends entirely upon who takes it up. Exactly. How many companies take it up and carry it forward as to which one predominantly wins the race. We have the same thing with VHS and Betamax and with uh, HD DVDs and Blu-rays, didn't we? Yeah, exactly. So do you think this was just another victim of not being popular enough to be picked up by the big corporations? Possibly. I think I think it was the wrong time. I think if it had been a couple of years earlier, it would have got a better market and it would have picked up more, but it came too close to MP3s and downloads. And, you know, the, and the iPod came out not long after mini-discs, so that kind of just obliterated it. Why would you need to carry 10 mini-discs with you when you can have an iPod with the same number of songs on it. Indeed, even more, because the iPods at that time, I think when the when the early iPods, something like 50 gigabytes. I think the first iPod was 20. Was gig. it 20? I yeah. Think, and then, yeah. of course, they went up to, I think, all the way up to, was it 120 or 150 gigabytes? 180. I had uh, my last iPod. Yeah, my last iPod was 180 gig iPod. Ah, I so. think my last one was 80 gig, and I, I, I mourned the day it died because you <laughs> couldn't get a replacement. And to my utter hatred of the system, there's still no replacement for the iPod on the market. No, I mean, the, the iPod Touch was okay, but it just didn't have enough storage. didn't have the memory, no. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, your iPod classics were great. Yeah, I mean, you can get some, some variations on the iPod, uh, which... Mm which take like uh, disc memory and stuff mm. but they for me they haven't got the usability or or the the durability of an yeah. ipod they yeah. were they were very good systems the battery lasted for absolutely ever you had mm. an almost seemingly infinite storage capacity on them yeah and they were just very handy to have around the systems that we have available to replace that Mm. Uh, none of them have got the memory of an iPod. I've actually got a um, an MP3 player, which is made by Onkyo, which is a brand of Pioneer. Um, it's called a, a DPX1, I think it is. Um, and that's basically an Android tablet, but shrunk down to the size of, a, uh, of an MP3 player. And it takes two micro SD cards. It'll take up to 200 gig 
in each. So you take up to four, so you can carry up to 400 gigs worth of music on that. Um, and it also works as a streaming player, so you can play Spotify and everything like that. And that's kind of replaced it. And I wouldn't need um, an iPod anymore. Uh, I have a Sony version, which is very good. You can put SD cards in up to 120 gig. However, yeah. the screen on it is so dark in direct sunlight, <laughs> you can't even see what you listen to anymore. Yeah. You never had that problem with the iPod. The, the, it was always, because it was an LCD screen, it was always crystal clear. Yeah, it was. It was lovely. Just a yeah. shame it had some limitations, but there we go. Okay, so moving on now, shall we talk about your sixth album? When you say the name Chumbawemba, everybody thinks of tub thumping because that was just huge but i was actually into them not to sound like a snob i was actually into them before because of their political side so the album i'm choosing is is anarchy which was their um sixth album came out in 1994 a lot of the albums i like came out in the sort of mid 90s this was the first political band i got into well overtly political because people like pearl jam would have political songs but this was properly yeah, anti-racism, anti-fascist. This was just brilliant. I remember seeing the video for the track Homophobia and it was on the chart show of all places, I think. Um, and just thinking, wow, they can do a real political, angry track but make it pop music. So I bought this album. So was this just teenage angst or would you say you're a politically motivated person? <laughs> It's not teenage angst because I was about 22 by the time this came out. So <laughs> um, I think I'm probably politically motivated in, in many ways. I see a lot of injustice in the world and I don't like it. And I try and do my bit to help, but not very much, if I'm honest. But I really like, I like to support bands that are willing to do things. And Chumbawamba are one of those bands. So what was the name of this album, did you say? Anarchy. This album cover actually is interesting because it was banned from places like HMV and Virgin Megastore. Um, because it's basically a close-up of a baby's head as it is born. Ah, okay. So the album cover itself is pretty much a statement. Mm, it was exactly that. Um, they, they were basically saying, this is the most natural thing in the world. This is probably going to get banned from being shown anywhere. I must admit, I've not heard anything other than tub thumping. Mm. That's the only thing I know of Chumbawamba. Yeah. I know they've done several albums. In but, loads, loads. Yeah, but, but, but I really have no knowledge of them. Yeah, this album's great. You should listen to this album. Brilliant. I've actually seen this band live as well. I've seen them three times, and they were brilliant every single time. Um, I, I saw them at the, in Derby, at the University of Derby. Uh, I saw them in a very tiny pub in Derby as well. But they also they played a music festival that was held in uh, the Market Square in Derby, and they played headlining one of those, and it was a free gig. And it was just such a bizarre thing to see all these pop bands playing and then Chumbawamba came on and suddenly started doing loads of political rants it was really good but they're one of the best live bands ever and if they hadn't split up I'd recommend you see them when you can but they split up sadly okay so which which particular track on this album um, would you say was the one that got you into it I'm going to choose Time Bomb because it's a great pop song but as a, a, a message for the disaffected youth okay so we'll have a quick listen to that stop now what's that sound Everybody look what's going down Stop now, what's that sound?
right, so that was your sixth album. Shall we talk about your seventh album now? This, this band is Interpol. Uh, their first album, Turn On The Bright Lights. It's a real stripped back sound. It's kind of the opposite, opposite of the overblown music I, I was listening to at the time. This was after I'd started to get back into uh, more prog rock music. So it's 2002 this came out. Um, and a friend bought it for me for my birthday. Listened to it, didn't really stick with me at all. Um, and then I saw him a few months later and, and he asked me about it, whether I'd enjoyed it or not. And um, I kind of thought, <laughs> I suppose I better listen to it properly. And I listened to it again and really fell in love with it at that time. Um, it's a real, I like, I kind of call it spiky guitar. What do you mean by spiky guitar? It's almost punk but not, not frenetic. Right, and what's this track called? This is going to be obstacle number one. I used to play this all the time in the Blue Note and it's the most accessible track on the, the album. They get a lot of stick for sounding like uh, Joy Division and the vocalist does sound a little bit like that but musically they don't sound anything like Joy Division um, and this is just a great track. So you mentioned you had them at the Blue Note where you were going to on yeah. a regular basis. Yeah. Was it the frequency of listening to them in these clubs that made them appeal more to you, or was it just listening to the album? It was listening to the album. It was one of those things where you listen to an album and you think, yeah, that's all right, yeah, not great, and you put it aside. And then months or years sometimes even later, you think, oh, I've not really listened to that album for a while. I'm going to put that on. And then something, some for some reason, something's changed in your life or something you've listened to something else that's similar something just clicks and that's what happened to me with this album didn't really pay much attention when i first listened to it It wasn't great i didn't love it when i listened to it after he'd asked me about it just something must something just clicked and i really fell in love with it straight away and it wasn't long after that that they released their second album and that was the album that really really grabbed me from the start which was uh that was antics uh, and that cemented the love of interpol interpol are one of my favorite bands now but the, yeah this album took me a little while to get into but when i did get into it loved it still love it it's good okay we'll have a quick listen to that then Okay, so we're moving swiftly along now. That was your seventh choice. Yes. What have we got in line for your eighth choice? You know me. <laughs> Sadly, this is true. We've already mentioned my uh, my love for miserable music. You're going to say Morrissey, aren't you? A lot of the albums I've listed so far, you could probably put in that category. This album is Vauxhall and I by Morrissey. 
<laughs> How did I know? <laughs> I've got to put more acid. Should we all just take a, a, a drink of a, a take a stiff drink now and let you get on with your describing your love for this appalling music? So I don't like Morrissey anymore. I don't listen to Morris anymore. It's too late now. You've already ruined yourself to all our listeners. He's turned into something that is the exact opposite of everything he was before. But at the time, in about 1995, he really spoke to people. He was obviously most famous as the lead singer of the Smiths, but I, I was not into the Smiths at school. Not even slightly. I knew about them and I'd heard some of their songs, which I, I liked, but they just weren't my kind of thing. Was this because it wasn't something that your mother would listen to? No, to be honest, I think the Smiths is something my mum would have enjoyed if she'd have been a bit younger. Um, they were all over the radio, so I'd heard them. Um, and they were all over the chart show, and I'd, I'd seen them on that. The, you know, top of the pops, things like that. Just and they're all the, over your school disco. Exactly. But the music wasn't the sort of music I was into at the time. This is When they were around, I was into prog rock. You can't get much further from prog rock than the Smiths. Not really, no. So whilst I appreciated that the songs were pretty good, it wasn't something that I would take the time out to listen to. Okay. But the reason I got into Morrissey and then into the Smiths afterwards was I, I'd reconnected with an old friend um, and we, we'd gone and sat in a bar and, and had a chat about stuff. He'd, he'd moved away and he'd come back to Derby and looked me up and I met with him for a drink. Middle of the afternoon, and I don't drink in the afternoon very often, but he'd left, and I was left sitting in this bar on my own, finish off my drink while I wait for a bus, and the song, The More You Ignore Me, The Closer I Get, came on, and something really just clicked. And I don't know if it was because I'd just met up an old friend I'd not seen for a couple of years, but something about that song clicked. So I was still in town, I went out to the record shop that was near the shop where I worked, and I bought that on CD and went home and listened to it. And from then on, I just went out and bought as much stuff as I could. Um, rediscovered the Smiths, love for the Smiths, and just fell in love with Morrissey's music. When you say you bought as much stuff as you could, are you referring mm. to buying more Morrissey or a, a variety? Morrissey and the Smiths. Um, controversial as it may be, I actually preferred Morrissey's solo stuff to the Smiths. I do like the Smiths. I love the Smiths. I think they're great. But it was the Morrissey stuff that really I, I really enjoyed. Um, so again, I've seen, seen Morrissey a couple of times live as well, um, both Glastonbury. Um, and just think he was really, really good. And he, he was speaking for the powerless, especially in the Smiths, the youth who were sidelined, who didn't fit in, and he was speaking for them. And nowadays, he's speaking for the bully. And that's why I don't like him anymore. I would still, this album still holds up as a great album. Which track are we going to listen to for that from that album? We're going to listen to the single, The More You Ignore Me, The Closer I Get. The more you ignore me, the closer I get. You're wasting your time. The more you
Okay, so now we'll move on to your ninth album. Yeah, this album really reminds me of you, and this album is Bad Hair Day by Weird Al. <laughs> Again, I will try not to take that personally. <laughs> but it reminds me of you in a very specific way. So It's nothing to do with my hair, then. <laughs> uh, well, as you will find out, it may be. Um, okay. I'd, I mentioned that I'd, one of my earliest tapes that I had was a Russ Abbott album. Um, but apart from that, I hadn't really encountered humour in music. Um, I hadn't, at this point, heard Spinal Tap. Um, I think I'd possibly seen Bad News, but didn't really enjoy it. Um, so humour in music was just something that would occasionally Genesis might do a funny song, or somebody might do a funny song on their album. But this album really opened my mind to that, and I heard it at a party at your house. Um, I think it was when you lived in Bullwell, in your flat? Oh, wow, that is going back quite a while. Yeah, um, and it wasn't long after I first met you, and you invited me to a party. It was Duncan as well was there, I think, a friend of ours, oh. Duncan Crozier. Um, we were at the party, and Duncan was really the only person I knew other than you. Um, so at the party were all the people. You and I wrote um, a magazine, um, wrote and edited and produced and basically did everything for a magazine, uh, which was called Tales from the Broken Drum. That was produced by the society Octarine, which you started. It wasn't just me, it was a committee of people who started it. And this party that you had, had all the people that were on the committee for, for that organisation. And I didn't really know them at that point. No, I contacted you because you were a, a rabid fan of the magazine and had been stupid enough to put your name forward as, as perhaps somebody who might be prepared to write something for us. Yes. And I, I immediately grasped onto that like a man <laughs> reaching for a, a life vest uh, and dragged yeah. you into my orbit. Exactly. But anyway. yeah, you've never actually been able to swim out of my orbit since, have you? I haven't, no. You've, <laughs> you've trapped me like a moon. <laughs> <laughs> like a black hole sucking yeah. in a star. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and Duncan was uh, a guy who did cartoons for us, and he was at the same university as I had been at. And so we, you invited us both. And we got there and didn't really know anybody. But you put this album on and it was taking the mickey. I knew how to throw a party, didn't I? You did, you Weird did. Weird Alan. I mean, really. Yeah. But it was taking the mickey out of music that I already loved. <laughs> so, so you, you know, were familiar with the tracks he was parodying? Most of them, yeah. So, But then things like you know, Nine Inch Nails and Beck in the, the, the polka. And I was just like, oh my God, he's, he's doing it. And it... It's actually funny. He's not laughing at it. He was laughing with it. No, he's not parodying the music. He's using the music to yeah, form a parody. Exactly. And that's what I loved about it. Um, and it just immediately it grabbed me immediately. I just really, really, really liked it. So that's why this album reminds me of you. <laughs> also, you had a really horrible uh, ponytail at the time. So. Oh, you had to mention that. And possibly I did. <laughs> You did, as I recall, and yours was longer than mine. I mean, this is this is bragging rights in reverse. You had a larger ponytail than mine, and I'm happy about that. I don't uh, think I had a mullet, though. No, no. Just, just, <laughs> just to put everybody's mind at ease, at the time we're talking about, ponytails were prevalent, but a lot of people had them. We weren't weirdos. We were, yeah. we weren't yuppies either. We were, no. we were, we were the norm at the time. 
Yes. Now we look back and laugh. Oh, how we laugh at our hairstyles <laughs> of that time. I don't. I look back and cry because I haven't got any hair anymore. <laughs> that is true. That was that was that was your moment of glory, wasn't it? it was. Having all that hair. Yeah. Never yeah. again will I have. I, st- much I hair. still have lustrous hair, um, which I can't wait for the barbers open so that I can get it all cut off. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it kind of came full circle with this album because we went to see Al, didn't we, in uh, in we, Birmingham? We did. First ever UK gig, and we saw him, and he was great. I have a great memory of that gig because it was a cold winter's night, and there was a threat of snow. And your missus packed it off with a towel, (laughs) a thermos, and some sandwiches in case we got stuck. And also, don't forget the cat litter and the spade. (laughs) Yes, yeah, we had we had more in the boot than we had of ourselves in this car because your missus was. was, uh, overly protective of us it was very yeah. nice of her to do that but i was looking at her going what the hell as you came out of your door with arms full of stuff i thought where are you going to a gig what's the cat litter for what are you planning to do where's the cat yeah. uh, that was fun though wasn't it? and then it didn't snow it didn't snow we had a great drive down and a great great drive back and as i recall a great gig weird al for those who haven't seen weird al live is amazing it is um, absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, Utter showman. Yeah. And the the videos in between each song while he went off and uh, got costume changed were just equally as good. Because um, there were a lot of costume changes in the There were a lot of costume there. changes. Um, brilliant. Uh, he came out into the crowd, didn't he, at one point? He did, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. So it was, good. It was, a, it was a tremendous, tremendously fun gig. It was. Absolutely true. And we were really near the stage as well, weren't we? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So we Absolutely. we actually got we actually got a really good view. Yeah, I love that gig. I have really good memories of that gig. It's yeah. the first time I'd seen Weird Al live, and I yeah. think it's one of the few occasions when he's actually toured this country. It was his first ever UK gig. Was it really? Well, in fact, I think it was his first ever European gig. Full stop. Wow. I and it was it was amazing. There was a good crowd that night, wasn't there? It was. It was. Yeah. So we were privileged yeah. to see him at that gig, and he. Just brilliant. Loved it. Yeah, it didn't let us down at all, did he? Did not. Not at all. So, uh, which track are you choosing off that album? There's a load of good tracks on this album, isn't there? I mean, I don't think there's a bad track. I don't particularly like the track Syndicated Incorporated, but that's because it's a song I don't know by a band I don't know that he's parodying. So it's a difficult choice. I, I did consider Amish Paradise. I was say, that's the one I'd choose off this album. Yeah, but I think that's the most obvious one. I think I'm going to choose Everything You Know Is Wrong, because it's... It's not a parody of a particular song, but it's very funny. And it's kind of that frenetic track that just doesn't stop. And I defy anybody to sing along without losing their breath. Okay, we'll have a listen to that.
said that was your ninth album. We're now moving on to your last album. Yes. Is it a good one? Have you saved the best till last, or is it another weird one out from the left field? Left field, I'm afraid. You're just all over the place, aren't you? I am. See, the thing is, because I've not chosen my favourite albums, I've chosen the albums that influenced me the most. They're kind of obscure because they've influenced me in other ways. Um, so while this is, this probably is one of my favourite albums, actually, but it's not something you'd expect me to like. This is by a band called the Asian Dub Foundation, um, and it's called Rafi's Revenge. So what drew you to this album? It's another political album, but it's also an album that is really joyous. So we've spoken on this podcast many times before about albums that are joyous. Um, it's, a, it's a dance album, and it's kind of introduced me to a more dancey side of music. Hold on, hold on. I, I'm just trying to visualise you dancing. No, no, it's not coming along. No, I see a monkey jumping up and down that's it <laughs> yeah okay that's fine fine um no it's, it's it's not a dance music as in house music or pop dance music it's it's almost drum and bass in fact it probably is drum and bass but it's incredibly political um asian dub foundation you say play drum and bass are we hmm. talking sort of the heaviness of a band like pendulum or is it is it more dance similar oriented? similar style um not quite as heavy but similar in style. Okay. Uh, got f- fast rapping, a lot of um, Indian, South Asian influences. The, the guys are South Asian. They're kind of, I think, I believe they formed in Birmingham, but they use things like dancehall, raga, that sort of thing. Um, so kind of completely different to anything I'd heard before. And I heard this album because I was working in the comic shop and a colleague of mine put it on and just immediately was like, what? brilliant the first track in particular which is the track i'm choosing called naxalite just makes you want to get up and dance because it's so good again um, I'm, I'm trying to imagine you dancing and i'm seeing the monkey again <laughs> um so he played it and it's just so good and this album's actually it's kind of their fourth album but it's a re-recording of their very first album their very first album was called raffi and it was only released in france um, the first two albums were only released in France, actually. Um, and they re-recorded this album completely and reissued it as their fourth release. Did they re-record it to bring it up to date or just to give it a wider appeal? To bring it up to date, I think. Um, because, like I say, it was only released in France. And I think they they weren't happy particularly with the um, the sound and the production of it. So they re-recorded it and re-released it. Okay, so this this wasn't a remixing of a tape. This was, no, it was a, a remix recording. It was a complete re-recording of the album. That's why it's called Rafi's Revenge. So one thing I remember about this album is um, my friend Andy, who who was the person who first played it for me, it was his birthday, and he's uh, a very enthusiastic dancer, shall we say, or certainly was at that time, um, and he would he would be all over a dance floor with very little self-control. <laughs> it's just his style. He wasn't doing it to, to annoy people, it was just the way he did it. So not the just hopping up and down that you do? Not that at all. Uh, he, he, he'd dance, but he'd move all over. Um, and it was his birthday, and we asked to play this song for his birthday, and they played it. And he was dancing around. I was on the dance floor with him as well. I noticed two guys were getting really annoyed with him. They were pushing into him, and he, was, he wasn't noticing because he was drunk, and he was just having a good time. He was just dancing the way he did. And they were getting really, really, really cross, and I could see they were, they were going to start kicking off. As I've said, I'm a very short guy. I'm just 
about five foot tall, so very short. But tenacious. But tenacious. Um, so I basically kind of ducked between them and I was also drunk at the time, which explains this behaviour. Um, I basically stood in front of them and said, listen guys, he's not doing it on purpose. He's drunk, it's his birthday. If you want to get him, you've got to come through me. And these guys were tall, big blokes. <laughs> and they looked at me, they probably thought, he's not going to front up to us unless he can back that up. Unless he's a little psychopath. <laughs> and they basically went, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. All right. And then they left. <laughs> we don't want any of whatever shit you've got hiding up your sleeves. Exactly. Um, and <laughs> the next day, Andy phoned me and said, I just want to say thank you. Apparently, everybody's told me that you stopped me from getting into a fight. You protected me from getting into a fight last night by, by basically telling two guys to get lost. I was like, yeah, I did. Oh, God. What did you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> no, I was more like, oh, God, that could have gone terribly badly. <laughs> oh, my God, I nearly got into a fight. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so that's kind of... That's what this... Listen to this track reminds me of that almost every time. So... Andy, this one's for you. Okay, so we're going to listen to the first track off that album, did you say? Yeah. Okay, so we'll have a listen to that track. This one's called Axolites. Brothers and sisters of the soul, you now we are one in the visible and strong. They may try to break us, but they may not underestimate us. They know our memories are longer. I said the past are sleeping villages. That's how they picture me. At least that's what they try to pretend. But check out our histories of which a revolution we are prophesying. That we will rise again. So that's your 10 albums, Simon. My 10 albums, yeah. There are so many more albums I could have chosen. I've not even mentioned people like Jean-Michel Jarre that was, you know, my first ever gig was a Jean-Michel Jarre gig or, or Marillion or millions of other bands I could have mentioned. These ones were the 10 that influenced me the most. So looking back at the 10 albums that you chose, mm. the one thing that comes immediately to my mind is that probably because of the political leanings of some of the music listen, you listen to, 
Yeah. You're probably on a list somewhere. Is that true? <laughs> Quite probably, yeah. <laughs> good, good. Several. <laughs> So when I was at, when I was at university, I was quite um, quite political. I was a member of the uh, the fox hunt saboteurs for a little while. Um, so really, yeah, I probably am on some list somewhere. <laughs> Just because of that, I really I did involve myself in politics back then. I hope I'm I hope I'm not on a list by association. Oh, you will be. I'm sure think... I'm on lists of my own anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean these, these, as you say, are not your like last week when I did mine. Um, mm. Neither of us have picked the ten albums that we probably listen to today, and yeah. um, they're certainly not our ten favourite albums. They're the albums yeah. that that really defined the person we are today musically. In my case, they are ones where I was heading down a particular track, a particular path of music, and I heard something else, and it sent me off into a different direction. So not necessarily more of the same. It was like, oh wow, I've never heard anything like this before. What else is there like this? And I'm still the same now, listening to music. Yeah, I was just going to say that the, the choices you've made in music and the fact that you keep flirting from, from this bit to that bit and you can never stay on one track probably mm. explains the difficulty I have in carrying on a coherent conversation with you in the pub. <laughs> Quite probably, yeah. <laughs> well, I'd like to thank Simon for joining us this week and for giving us a taste of the ten albums that directed his choice in music. If you're listening to this before July the 6th, 2020, there's still time for you to vote in the British Podcast Listeners' Choice Awards for the Revelation <laughs> Station <laughs> podcast. This is open to any British podcast. And to vote in the Listeners' Choice Awards, simply go to britishpodcastawards.com slash vote. You search for the Revelation Station podcast and you find us and you can vote for us there. You can vote for as many podcasts as you want on this, but you can only vote once. Um, that Voting for that closes on midday on Monday the 6th of July 2020 and we would very, very much appreciate a vote. Simon, thank you. Thank you. And to our listeners, I thank you very much for tuning in. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Dicks. Oh, oh, really? Okay. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Dees. Brought to you by the Revelation Station Podcast. Recorded and edited in Derbyshire by Simon Heldrich. Script by Gary Starr. Original music made with loops. Email us at revelationstationpodcast at gmail.com. To support us, head to buymeacoffee.com and search The Revelation Station. You have been listening to a Revelation Station Podcast. Wow. So yeah, and I'm just trying to think of something to say to that. <laughs>